When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome, everyone. This is the Celtics Beat Show, powered by CLNS Radio. I'm your host, Cal Lee, and alongside of me, I got my man, Warren Shaw. We host The Baseline, which we feature every Monday, giving you the hot-button topics of the NBA. What's going on, my brother, Mr. Shaw? Doing good, man. Man, happy holidays, everybody out there at Celtics Nation. Um, yeah, another tough, tough week for Boston Celtics basketball. But yeah, we, we had some great guests to talk about what's going on with this team um, and really what the future lies for the, for the rest of this organization. Yeah, you know, it, it's been really a tumultuous week, uh, losing... Uh, one again, another building block to a team that helped win a championship some seven years ago. You're also talking about, uh, you know, a change in 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 in, in infrastructure with the with the roster and the personnel and some of the losses that the Celtics have suffered over the last you know few uh, few days have just been you know hard to kind of swallow. Um, and uh, we definitely have some really great guests with us, Mark Van Dusen and Mike Dyer from Celtics Life, to kind of help us quash a little bit of the anxiety that Celtics fans have been bringing upon themselves uh, with what the what they've seen over the recent weeks. But, you know, first things first, man, um, when we talk about the Boston Celtics, we talk about a rich tradition, and that tradition is always being um, helped out by old, uh, you know, uh, videos, uh, books that we've read from some quality people. And there's an interesting book that will be coming out in the next week or so, uh, it's by our executive producer, Larry H. Russell. Uh, the name of the book is called The Fall of the Boston, How Bad Luck, Bad Decisions Brought the Mighty Celtics Empire to Its Knees and Ushered in the Dark Ages. It'll include exclusive interviews, former players, front office staff, members of the media, and a whole lot more, Shaw. You know, one of the things that keeps great franchises alive is when you have writers, reporters, media people continually giving perspective and introspect within what goes on in great organizations such as the Boston Celtics and this new book that's coming out by Larry H. Russell should probably be no different. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. This is a team that has such rich tradition and history as everyone kind of knows out there. And it's it's always interesting to kind of take a look at that of that that tradition and, and what's going on in, in terms of the infrastructure of the of the roster, the front the, the front management as well. And just kind of where this team has gone and, and where it will be going potentially as the, probably the most storied franchise in the NBA. Um, I think, you know, Larry H. Russell's going to do a great job in this book. And, you know, again, it's just added to the many, many of the in the Celtics library, per se, of, of great readings out there that fans can get their hands on. 
Most definitely. So January the 5th is when this book is scheduled to be released. So be sure to check it out. Go to www.clnsradio.com to get more information or to order this awesome book. And speaking of what we're talking about within the quote unquote dark ages, I know that there is one player who's lived through the dark ages of bad basketball, one of Kevin Garnett, and he was one of the final, you know, final pieces that before being moved a few seasons ago from the Boston Celtics who helped win us that championship within the last seven years. You know, we, we talked about the possibilities of, you know, where KG will be by this time around. We thought that he probably wouldn't even be playing basketball, but he's still playing ball. He, he just recently came from his stint where the Brooklyn Nets came to town to play on, to play the Boston Celtics. There was much speculation that this was probably his final game at the TD garden I don't know, Shaw. I, I just tend to feel like Kevin Garnett's the kind of guy that doesn't feel like he is going to allow the media or the people to dictate when he should walk away from the game. I think he's the kind of guy that wants to walk away from his own terms. Did you get that sense that he was ready to walk away from this? This should be his last game. It's hard for it's hard to decide with KG. He's a guy who takes the summers to really figure that out and decides he's got enough energy to come back. This is the final year of his deal, so I don't know if he has that decision made one way or another. And you know, from from a looks perspective, he could probably give you know give a team another year or so. But I don't know if he wants to be that guy that that veteran that's just languishing, holding on per se. And he's definitely not the same player. Not the same exuberance and vibrance that he used to have he still gives the same effort per se but he's just not able to get to the same spots that he used to so i think for right now garnett is you know is, is playing it out he's enjoying the moment not necessarily on a farewell tour um because i don't think that's even something that he wants he just if he's going to go he's just going to kind of go off quietly what i find some interesting is that people were speculating that if kevin garnett were to walk away from the game that he should sign a one-day contract with the boston celtics seeing as that he won his title um here uh in, in boston and I just find it interesting that that people have that perception. You know, people have forgotten that he came from Minnesota and that his greatest years of basketball was what he did for that Minnesota Timberwolves franchise. Now, granted, I was all for KG playing as a Boston Celtic, helping us win a championship as a Boston Celtic, but I will never take away from the big ticket because that's where his name was born. The guy that came from Farragut, from out of Chicago, to do what he did for that franchise, to basically shoulder that team and, and put them in positions where there were so many close opportunities that he could have found himself playing in an NBA title, uh, playing for an NBA title, only to, you know, only to get it be taken away from him. I, I got to tell you, man, this is one of the reasons why I say what you want to say about this dude, but he will go down as definitely one of the top five top 10 power forwards of our generation. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I think what, what Celtics fans get, get lost in is the fact that KG came in and just uh, just accepted um, the, the winning culture and the tradition of Boston so so eagerly and so readily that he almost feels like he has been a Boston Celtic for, for his entire career. But for, for some perspective, 927 games he played with the Minnesota Timberwolves to 396 with the Boston Celtics. There's basically, you know, roughly a little over a third of his career um, with Boston. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's it's amazing what, what, what KG has done over his career in general. But 20, 20 points... 20.5 points per game, 11.4 rebounds, 4.5 assists he did with the Minnesota Timberwolves. And again, in 927 games, compared to 15.7, 8.3, and 2.7 in 396 for Boston. His body of work definitely speaks to the, what he did with the Minnesota Timberwolves. But that, that bringing that championship, especially in his first year, means so much to Boston Celtics fans. And it means so much to KG as well that I can understand why people think he's you know been a Boston Celtic for life. All right, so let's go ahead, Shaw, and, and let's like kind of give a recap of what's happened in the week for the Boston Celtics. And listen, man, it's been a tough week of basketball for this team. I mean, 
you know, they lose their their the last piece of that championship team and Rajon Rondo, he's gone. He's now a Dallas Maverick. And then, you know, they have to go through the motions of figuring out a way to beat a team like the Miami Heat, beat a team like the Orlando Magic, beat a team like the Brooklyn Nets. And while these are not the best teams that represent the Eastern Conference, these are teams that are trending upward. You see the players that they have on their franchises, and they you can say, you know, you can find or definitively say that there's a future with what the what they currently have, even if they've got some high-end players that they need to get rid of or remove. At, at the end of the day, you know what those teams are. And we've been talking about this really at length, that the problem with the Boston Celtics is, is so much mediocre talent on this team, it's very hard to gauge. Is this a team that is trending upward or is this a team that's going to continue to flatline or even bottom out? And what we have to do is we have to start shaking some of these players loose so that we can definitively start putting the guys we need out there to kind of give us an idea or a thought process that this is the team of the future. Well, yeah, it's a middling roster. And, and I think that's something that we're going to definitely get some perspective, you know, from from Mike and Mark a little bit later on when we bring them on. But, you know, I think some of the teams that that Boston played this past week, he caught them in transition, really what it boils down to. So, you know, coming off the big loss with Rondo, now Stevens, who already had a undetermined rotation, has to integrate three new guys into that rotation, figure out how they're going to play, and they haven't didn't get a whole lot of practice time, and just they got to learn the plays and just figure out what what Boston is doing here in terms of uh, in terms of a team right now. And I think you know it was a rough week simply because of that too. You know, losing your 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 longtime superstar, um, you know, an all star, and maybe even you know Boston Celtic legend per se in, in Rondo, and integrating these three new guys, even though even though the talent of the teams that Boston played were you know lower level, the Eastern Conference, you know, Boston, Miami's in the bottom of the conference right now in terms of the playoff hunt um and B- brooklyn's the same thing in the eighth seed right now um and orlando is a team that you as you mentioned is uh, kind of on an upward trend there they're definitely improving i think they just kind of got caught by the 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 nuance of what's going on in boston right now and the celtics struggle a little bit and hopefully they are able to turn around going into next week well it's so interesting shaw when you look at what the boston celtics have done over the last nine games um or actually the last 12 games they win three in a row, they lose three in a row. They win three more in a row, and then they lose three more in a row. And at some particular point, you know, there's got to be a level of accountability in the and in, in, in how they get to these, you know, they find themselves with these lulls. Look, they're not going to be like the Golden State Warriors who went on to win 16, 17 straight games, or maybe like even the Atlanta Hawks who've just recently gone on this impressive stint of winning basketball, or maybe even the Memphis Grizzlies. I, I understand that and I get that. But there's just so many extremities with this Boston Celtics team. We've seen this Boston Celtics team be competitive against one of the top dogs in the Eastern Conference with the Washington Wizards. And then, um, you know, a few days ago, they're down by like 27 points to the Orlando Magic. And while the Orlando Magic is, is not a, a, a good nor bad basketball team, to be up 27 points against a Boston Celtics team that's not the worst team in the world, it's like, to me, it's just kind of inexcusable. And it's just it's just kind of weird how this team just seems to be all over the place. I mean, they are the epitome of good job, good effort. You know, they 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 played really well in stretches, and then they usually collapse in the fourth quarter in the second half at some point. 
you know, they never, they just can't seem to put together a full 48. Um, it's really usually around 36 or sometimes even maybe 44, but they lose the game in the final closing minutes of the game. That's just who this team is right now. When without a kind of a, a sheer, a go-to guy, someone that they know they can go get baskets from on a regular basis. Um, they, you know, this is a team that's going to continue struggling, especially from the defensive end where they just giving up so many points. They have no stops. We know they struggle to rebound. We know that they struggle to, to shot block and those things. And that's just, that's just what the roster is. So as you, I don't know if you can ask Steven to work miracles with some of those things but defense is a, is a lot about effort right now and, and I'd like to see Boston have a little bit better effort on the defensive side of things hopefully be able to turn things around in the next week or so you're tuned to the Celtics Beat Show Cal Lee, Warren Shaw, your host this week and we're talking Boston Celtics basketball. Shaw, one of the interesting things that's going to happen over the next few days is the schedule that this Boston Celtics team is going to have. They've got the Sacramento Kings coming up, the Dallas Mavericks, Chicago Bulls. I mean, three absolutely tough games. Um, and listen, the Sacramento Kings are nothing to sneeze at. While they are not a, a good basketball team right now, uh, simply because of you know everything that's happened to them, losing their head coach, the Marcus Cousins uh, still being injured and whatnot. I mean, when you look at this team, though, they're still a dangerous basketball team. You've got Rudy Gay. Darren Collison is having an excellent season. And since this Boston Celtics team is nothing to sneeze at right now, you can't say with confidence that by them having the home, home court advantage against a game that they should really win with Sacramento – um, you know, it's got to still make you scratch your head as to, you know, where this team is going to be at come Wednesday. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think I, I don't look at the Sacramento Kings as a team that is that Boston really should be beating per se. I think Celtics are even pretty much of everybody. And because Sacramento has a, as a guy like Cousins, especially if he's able to play in that game. Um, I'd look for him to have a monster, a monster, monster game, something in the range of 30 and 15 or so, because Boston has nobody that can stop him on the inside. Um, and, you know, even with Rudy Gay, with the talent on the wing out there, Jeff Green could probably hold his own there. But that's something that I think Sacramento is they're 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 very good in terms of in terms of when when they're right and when they're healthy. Um, if Cousins playing that game, that's that's going to be a tough one for, for for Boston. And they've already played the Dallas Dallas Mavericks this year. They they got waxed by them. Um, I think Boston is now also one and one versus Chicago Bulls. But. The Bulls are fully healthy for the most part right now too, so that should be again another another tough game for them. This it's not looking for a, looking like a great week for Boston coming into this matchups. Yeah, and I mean these are the type of games where if you know what your team looks like, you can definitively say you know what this is a tough-minded Boston Celtics team. But I think one of the bigger questions, and I know we're going to get into this when we get our whole uh, when we get our guests uh, Mark and Mike on with us, is you know what kind of roster are we working with? And is this going to be a roster that you have with confidence? Because one of the questions that we've had about this Boston Celtics team is, is who really is that, that starting five? You say with confidence, these guys should be a part of the starting five. They should be logging in the 30-plus minutes. I mean, just the other day, we've just seen Tyler Zeller, who I think is a legitimate center, unless you're planning to move this guy, 24 minutes of Tyler Zeller, to me, just isn't enough. This guy is as good as it gets for them right now as far as being an, an intimidator in, in, in the center, you know, being a threat. He gives you quality buckets. He gives you easy buckets and probably is one of your better rebounders when you when you, when you you think about Kelly Olenek. He's kind of half and half still. Jared Sullinger, he seems to be a perimeter guy now. I mean, to have Tyler Zeller out there, I think, is really a good thing for the Celtics, but at only 24 minutes to me is a big question mark. I mean, it goes back to Stevens and his rotations and the evenness of the roster and how who he feels needs to be out there. So with Zeller, with Olenek, um, and and Sullinger, and I even got Bass, you need to to, to work into the to the rotation. Obviously, the newly 
acquire Brendan Wright as well. I think this is where Stevens is just like, well, he doesn't know what to do. There's just so many guys. What, what do I do with it? Um, but I definitely agree. Zeller has been very productive in the minutes he's given. If they were to decide to just go ahead and give him those 30 minutes, he'd probably seem to be very, very productive. Um, and then maybe you have to split the time at the power forward between Olenek and, and Sullinger. Um, and maybe maybe one of those guys plays a little bit of center and some spot minutes too. But um, I definitely see where you're going with that and Zeller getting the, the, the lion's share of the minutes at the five. Um, I just don't know if Stevens is ready to make that commitment just yet. All right. Well, listen, it's going to be some interesting basketball being played over the next few days. Boston Celtics definitely have a tough schedule ahead of them as they'll definitely be playing some of the best teams in their respective divisions and also in their respective conferences. They'll get the Brooklyn Nets again uh, the January 7th, that following Wednesday. They have a Charlotte Hornets team, which seems to be finding its gear, and they're starting to be on an upward tick. The Indiana Pacers starting to get healthy again, and then they'll also have the Toronto Raptors. So ultimately, this Boston Celtics team is going to go through one of its tougher tests uh, through the course of this season. Um, as we switch gears real quick, Shaw, and one of the things that I think was was really interesting uh, over the course of the next of the last few games is some uh, is some of the speculation about movements that Danny Ainge is still planning to make. The possibilities of Brandon Bass and Jeff Green on the move. Are you really buying into the idea that Danny Ainge is going to look to move these guys this soon? Or is it best that he probably holds suit and waits to see how things pan out come All Star break? Um, I think he's going to, you know take the calls for at least for right now and then see what the best deal is um especially every since perception is he got kind of you know rated over the grade if you will a little bit over here well off the rondo trade nobody seems to think he did well on that just yet um i think he needs to take his time and evaluate um not to make sure he doesn't sell guys too short if you will um but i think green and bass definitely are appealing again i've been saying for years bass's contract isn't as bad as as some out there especially for what if you know what you're buying and what you're getting with him um and jeff green and you know in the final year of his deal he can maybe go to a team that's looking for a perimeter guy out there who can can slash and i think he can help a lot of the contenders that are out there especially in the western conference so i think we're going to see some 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 rumors definitely kick up in the next few weeks per se um i'd hope angel just does his due diligence and he doesn't rush to make anything happen and yeah you're, you're probably right something maybe just before all-star break or right after all-star break before the trade deadline is seems to be the most likely scenario for one of these or two or both of these guys to potentially be moved real quick show you know you brought up something really interesting because i know that we'll also address this when mark and mike jump on with us and we talk a little further deeply about this celtics uh, this boston celtics basketball team but one of the things i don't think you had an opportunity to touch on was you know, while everyone is scrutinizing the trade that Danny Ainge made moving Rajon Rondo to the Dallas Mavericks, that you thought that the key component in this, and it's been addressed by by other uh, people in the media, but I don't know how much it's been talked about, is the fact that there's that trade exception clause that's been added to this, which really could be the kicker. How do you see that as really being an important element for the Boston Celtics and Danny Ainge moving forward? I mean, it's huge, you know, or at least it can be. I mean, that's the potential of it. He basically has a year to use it. Um, and last year, um, he was able to turn it into, I think, a draft pick and seller or something something to, the, to that degree. So it ended up working out well for him. Um, but, you know, you can basically require, I think Rondo's trade exemption is worth maybe $12.5 or $12 million, something like that. Um, if he's able to do, you know, get that and, and, and get a significant player in return or maybe even splitting that exemption up into draft picks and a player or however he uses it, um, Boston really can't come out ahead in this trade. It's just, it's, it's going to take some time. You don't know what's going to develop. You don't know what happens in other situations with other teams and other players and somebody becomes unhappy and then they're trying to unload somebody and maybe Boston's able to pick that pick that player up. Um, I don't know if it's something that's going to be used anytime soon per se. Definitely, you know, right before the draft 
or maybe even over sometime over the summer is, is the most likely scenario for this exemption to be used. All right. Awesome stuff, Shaw. This is the Celtics Beat Show. Cal Lee, Warren Shaw, your host for this week. Time now for us to have our interview go one-on-one with some of the finer authors and people keeping track of everything going on with Celtics basketball. And this week, we have two very special guests, and this interview is brought to you by Beats and Eats, food, music, pop culture, you name it, they'll talk it, beatsandeats.net, hosted by Ty Ray and Nick Gelso. Uh, this week, we have two very special guests with us. They're authors for Celtic Life, and they're all. you can also find a lot of their works as well, too, on Yahoo's Ball Don't Lie blog. We have Mark Van Dusen and Mike Dyer. Welcome to the show, fellas. Thank you very much. Ah, we're really happy to be here, guys, uh, talk about um, a really interesting Celtics team. <laughs> interesting is probably uh, the, the nicest word that we can come yeah. up with this this, it was. Yeah, the, the Boston Celtics um, this year um, are quite the mystery team. Uh, you know, and, and we've already gone through a quarter of the season and we really aren't quite sure at this particular stage, you know, what to make of this team. Usually we can already predict whether this team is trending in a positive direction, whether they're going to be stagnant or, you know, by all accounts, you know, we use the rebuilding terminology very, you know, very rampantly you know, throughout the NBA, but it's hard to do that with a team that's been as traditionally successful as the Boston Celtics. So let me start with you, Mark. When you think of the Boston Celtics, this team in 2014-2015, what's the first word that comes to mind so far this season? Uh, One word, I don't know, for a couple words, I'd say like just below mediocre, which is about the worst possible place you can be in. I mean, looking at the standings right now, they're 10 and 17, which you'd think is terrible, except they're only really two and a half games back. And if they'd won yesterday against Brooklyn, they'd be right there in the thick of the playoff race, which is kind of a depressing thought at the moment because that's not going to get us anywhere whatsoever. And really, I mean, the bottom section of the East is so bad, and the Celtics probably just aren't as bad as a lot of those other teams, but they're also nowhere near anything that's going to be relevant either. So it's kind of a tough spot to be in right now. Mike, um, when you think about this, this, this Boston Celtics team and Mark brought up some really excellent points a moment ago, is it hard to imagine that Danny Ainge is, is, is putting this thing together or, or should we be concerned with regards to the direction that, you know, he's trying to go with, with regarding the team, is the, is the talent more so dictating what he has to do, or is it really based on the fact that it's all about what he anticipated was going to happen once he had to let go of the big four that was still remaining on this team? I think Danny Ainge, it's it's too hard to have an exact plan to bring in a new era of stars unless you're the Lakers or the Heat and you can just sign three stars at the same time. So. What Ainge has done, I think, is he's positioned himself to try and land stars through, through the draft, through development, while still creating enough cap room to potentially sign a very good player. If you want to know if you should be concerned, yeah, we should be concerned because right now there's no one on the roster I can look at and for sure say that's one of the three or four best players on a great team. There are guys who could become that, Marcus Smart's one of them. Jared Sollinger, I think, is right on the fringe of that. And they have a whole bunch of guys who I think could be the fifth through tenth players on a very good team. But you need the Alpha Dogs. They do have a million picks over the next four or five years. 
I will say that people who are getting frustrated because we have all these assets and nothing's happening, it's been one draft. It's been one year. And we got Marcus Smart and then James Young, who I think everyone knows is a complete wild card, might end up being a 17-point-per-game guy, might be out of the league in three years. He's raw. He's been hurt. We don't know what he is. But it's been one year. If you're going to see through this rebuild, it took Danny Ainge four years last time. Four. It might take four years again. Expecting it within a year is really unrealistic. So concern is definitely warranted. But panic at this point, I think it's going to take patience. Mike, I want to jump in here real quick, and then Mark, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask the question to Mike first, and then Mark jump in right after. But um, when you look at this uh, look at this Boston Celtics team, you know we we know they're you know as Mark said earlier, you know, just below mediocre per se. But what has been something that you have been satisfied with? Um, something concerning the team, or even maybe an individual, somebody who may have surprised you in a good way. Um, Mike, you go first, and then Mark jump right in afterwards. Um, I think Kelly Olynyk is proving that. I think his what he is is he's the third big man on a, I mean, he can be the third big man on a perennial playoff team. And to get him 13th, I believe, in a very weak draft, I think is going to be a really good pick. He can shoot, shoot the ball. He can rebound. He's a really good passer. His defense is not good, but I've seen pretty substantial improvements from year one to year two. So I'm really optimistic that Kelly Olynyk is a, a really viable piece. Um, he's not a center you know, a starting center. He's not a rim protector, but I think Kelly Olenek has proven to me that this guy could be in it for the long haul because he, he's a really skilled player. Yeah, uh, you stole my answer there, Mike. But <laughs> <laughs> since I got to go with another guy, I'll go with Tyler Zeller. I mean, he's been playing great, way above and beyond what anybody expected. And in the beginning, a lot of people thought he was doing well because Rondo was finding him open underneath the basket a lot. But in Rondo's departure, in the last four games, he's got 14, 22, 22, and 14 again. He's still shooting like close to 70% from the floor. He's not even playing big minutes, and he's still putting up good scoring and rebounding numbers. So he's been a pleasant surprise this year. But unlike somebody like Olenek or hopefully Selinger or Smart, I don't really see Zeller as being any sort of long-term factor. I mean, he's nice to watch this year, and he's been good to have on the team, and he's probably making them a little better than they are, but I don't really think of him as maybe a major piece going forward. I mean, he could be a backup center, but like you said, in terms of like good players on a potential title-winning team, he's definitely not somebody they're going to count on for the long term. So it's sort of a pleasant surprise for now, but not really anything to look forward to in the future. You're tuned to the Celtics Beat Show. Mike Dyer and Mark Van Dusen are a special guest from Celtics Life. Follow Mike at Mike underscore Dyer 13. And you can also catch Mark on the Twitter side as well, too, at Lucid Fans, at Lucid Sports Fan, excuse me. Um, let me go ahead and ask you guys this question. And I'm going to start with you, Mike, on, um, I'm sorry, Mark, with this one. And then, Mike, you can follow along with this. And this is something that I found pretty interesting. You guys brought up the name James Young. Now, James Young is kind of like that uh, that science project that you seem to be eager to want to test out, but for some reason, the formula just doesn't seem to be working, and you seem to be very intrepid. You handle it with kit gloves. So it was reported that he was healthy enough to play uh, over the course of this weekend, but in the Celtics-Nets uh, game, he was listed as being inactive. So my question Mark, is in your guesstimation, why haven't the Celtics really thrown out this kid, James Young, 
to kind of see what he is all about. We've seen some trades where we've gotten some additional assets, and I guess it's great that we could throw this guy out there, but it's almost as if we've forgotten that we drafted this kid, and really without the fact that you guys are mentioning him, it's almost like his, this guy's never been on the basketball court or don the Celtics uniform. Yeah, I mean, we see him play in the D League, and he shoots the lights out from three-point range and scores a ton of points. And when you're not excited about a team, obviously, like the young guys, the rookies, is who you want to see. And young is a potential building block for the future. But when you look up and down the Celtics roster, I mean, they have a lot of mediocre NBA players. They have a lot of guys who can play. They just don't have any stars. And when you look at Brad Stevens as a coach, one, he's still trying to win every game he can, so he's playing everybody he thinks should play. But even more importantly, like one of the big reasons Danny Ainge made the Rondo trade when he did was still they would still so they would still have time to trade the new guys they acquired before this year's trade deadline. I think 60 days is the rule on that one. I might not be exact on the number, but I know that he made the move so that they could still move the guys again this season. And James Young is not a player they have any interest in trading. They have all these other guys who they need to showcase and put some minutes out there to see if other teams might be interested. And not to mention Marcus Thornton's been injured lately, and Young still isn't getting on the floor. So guys like I don't know, the new guys they acquired and Evan Turner and Jameer Nelson, they need some minutes just so other teams can see him, whereas Young, he's going to be here, he's going to be around. He's still, I think, just 19 years old. So even though as fans we get impatient and we want to see guys like him right now, there's really no need. We can hold off on him. He's so young. He's so raw. He's 19 years old. He can't play defense. I mean, he's a scorer, and I'd love to see him. I think what Mark says makes some sense. One thing I will say, though, is if you're trying to, you know, really establish trade value, Brandon Wright could potentially. He's a very – contenders will line up to get Brandon Wright. Why is he only playing six minutes a game? Like, yeah. play that guy. Give him time. I have been confused by some of Brad Stevens' techniques. What, Jameer Nelson playing 20 minutes a game, he doesn't really have value, either via trade or or to the Celtics. Um, so I, I'm confused by some of those things. And in terms of Young, though, he's been banged up. I feel like he was hurt. Like he got in a car accident, and he was hurt during summer league. He, he hurt his hamstring or something during preseason. He missed most of preseason. He hurt his shoulder. It's like, this dude needs to stay healthy to even have a shot at cracking the rotation considering his other limitations like his defense. And he hasn't been healthy yet. Uh, so I think it's one of those things where they're trying to make sure he's 100% and probably kind of, I'm not going to say they're frustrated with him, but just kind of he's out of sight, out of mind until he can consistently practice and, and stay on the floor. And when you mix in the fact that he is only 19 and he has these limitations, I think it makes it an easy decision for them right now. But until we have a few trades are made, or maybe post-deadline, if they don't trade some guys, I expect a few guys to get bought out. Then we'll see James Young. But first things first, he's got to stay on the floor. He's got to stay healthy. He's been banged up since the minute they drafted him. You know, I think those are great points, um, you know, especially with Young. And obviously there's some new guys on the team in, in lieu of the Rondo trade as well. You know, in addition to the rookies that we drafted, um, but Mark, can you talk to talk about the newly acquired Celtics? Um, Crowder, uh, obviously Brennan Wright and Nelson. Of those guys, do you think any of them are really part of Boston's future? And who are you most excited to see? You know, kind of get on the court and, and contribute to this team this season. 
That's a tough question because, in all honesty, I'm not really excited about any of them as part of the future. Um, I think, like what Mike just said, Brandon Wright definitely has the most trade value of the three. He's a legitimate backup big, can block shots. He's got a great field goal percentage. He can rebound, and we should definitely be showcasing him as a player to other teams. Jameer Nelson's just at the end of his career. I mean, he's put up some decent assist numbers in the time that he's played, but he doesn't shoot the ball very well. There's nothing really to get too excited about with him. I mean, Crowder, to be honest, I didn't really know anything about when we got him. He's been decent in his limited playing time, but I don't think any of these guys really are going to be on the Celtics for any sort of long term. The draft pick is really the best thing we got in the trade for Rondo, and even that isn't necessarily so great. It's probably going to be a late first rounder, not even this year, next year. I think Ains really missed the boat on the Rondo trade. If it was, he was going to do it, he probably should have done it a lot earlier when his value was a lot higher. At this point, I almost wish he'd just written it out, kept them all season, and tried to re-sign him in the offseason. You're tuned to the Celtics Beat Show. Cal Lee, Warren Shaw, your host this week, and our special guests, Mike Dyer and Mark Van Dusen from Celtics Life. Uh, be sure to check out the Celtics Beat Show as we give you everything you need to know regarding Boston Celtics basketball. Check us out every single week on CLNS Radio. Uh, Mike, let me go ahead and ask you this question. You know, recently we've been hearing rumors about Boston obviously not being done moving pieces around. And the next guys that are being talked about is the possibility of a three-way deal that might be involving the Cleveland Cavaliers and, and some names being thrown out, Brandon Bass and Jeff Green. Um, do you think that those guys are the next to go? And, and, and w- where do you feel like is it on that truth serum rumor regarding the Celtics being involved in this deal with the, with the Cavaliers? Well, I think the Cavs, if there's you know, the rumors of three-team trades, uh, I heard Memphis being mentioned, right, where I guess Memphis would get Jeff Green. Cleveland would get one of Memphis's bigs. They got uh, Kostas Kufos is one of them. Uh, he's a backup for them. He'd probably start for Cleveland now with Verzal out. So I think there could be something in there, you know, where, where the Celtics pick up another first-round pick. They could even work out. I was looking at the numbers. Brandon Wright can be traded in a single-player trade at any time. So – Cleveland has a $5.3 million trade exception from, guess who, Keith Bogan. So Brandon Wright for that trade exception and, and a Cleveland first-round pick is a deal they could work out straight straight up with the Cavaliers. Now, could a three-way trade bring them more value? Maybe, and if so, then you, I think, expand it to Jeff Green. But if the prize is a late first-round pick either way, maybe you can get a late first-round pick for a Brandon Wright and a late first-round pick for a Jeff Green. I think Jeff Green would actually be a great fit in Oklahoma City, um, which would be wild because obviously that's where he came from. So in terms of the next guys to go, I think Bass will go. I do not get a first-round pick for Brandon Bass. I feel bad for the guy who deserves to play for a contender. I just don't know what you're going to get for him. But Jeff Green and Brandon Wright are the two guys on this roster who I think could be theoretically traded for something of value. And... That, I think, is Danny Ainge's plan because right now the Rondo trade looks like a, a B, I'd say, if you're going to grade it. But if you can deal Brandon Wright for a late first and if you can trade, remember that 11, is it 11 or $12 million trade exception? Well, when they had their last $10 million trade exception, they got Kyler Zeller and a first-round pick using it. So that ended up being pretty valuable. And if you can 
do something like that again, the Rondo trade could, down the line, end up looking like two or three first-round picks. They'll all probably be late first-round picks, though, and a young player. If you can do the same thing with that trade exception. So I think the Rondo trade might look better a little bit down the road. And in terms of the next guys to go, I really look at Brandon Wright and Jeff Green as the two guys with the most value. And I do definitely think what you said, the Cavaliers are uh, a really, really interesting team to watch as a partner. You know, Mike, I think those are great points. And I've been trying to talk people off the ledge, you know, from the Rondo trade and saying, listen, the, the, the trade exemption could really be, be a valuable tool. It probably is the most valuable on paper right now that they've gotten out of, got out of the Rondo deal initially. And people, you know, sometimes people don't understand the NBA. They don't understand that exactly. But, you know, Mark, I want to jump to you real quick. You know, as has come before we sign off here, the evenness of the roster has kind of made it difficult for rotations to be set for Stevens. Um, I kind of want to ask, you know, your opinion on that. Do you think Stevens is doing a good job handling the playing time and, and distributing the playing time this season? Now that Rondo's gone, should Smart really be the full-time point guard without any interruptions from Nelson or Press or anybody like that? Yeah, you know, I'm kind of losing a little bit of faith in Stevens. Right off the bat, I thought he was a great hire. I thought he was the perfect guy coming into this young rebuilding team. Liked what he'd done in college. He listened to his press conferences. He seems like he's a very smart, articulate guy. You think he knows what he's talking about. But I think Mike touched on this a little too. It's sort of confusing, and there doesn't seem to be any real rhyme or reason for who plays and when. Um, like some of the three new guys they got from the Mavs all played at once for a stretch in the game the other day when they made an amazing comeback. Um, so far in three games, Smart started, then Nelson started, then Smart started again and he just can't make up his mind. I feel like he should either just play the younger guys, the guys that we view as building blocks going forward, smart, uh, possibly James Young, Selinger, Olenek, try to develop those guys as much as possible, or he should just play more of the veteran guys and maybe win a few more games this year or play the guys that's trying to showcase for a trade. And in terms of the point guard matchup, I think it doesn't make any sense to you either got to pick smart and go with him or just put him in the bench. I think they should get him a defined role right now. I think either one is fine. It's not going to make a big difference really going forward if he's the starting point guard at the moment. But I think I'd be a lot happier if Stevens sort of got a lot more consistency with his lineups. I know it's hard with all these guys, but he's just got to bite the bullet and decide some are never going to play and just stick them on the bench. I think the team would function a lot better and for the younger guys is trying to build up for the future going forward if they had more defined roles. All right, fellas, before we uh, before we let you guys go, I, I have uh, one particular question that it, it actually was brought up um, from one of our post-game shows, which I then thought would be pretty kind of cool to, to bring up because you guys handle Celtics life. And right now, Celtics, the Celtic life is at odds because, you know, we just don't know what to make or what to define of this team. But there was an interesting question that was kind of thrown out there. And that's in regards to the future of the Boston Celtics with Jared Selinger and Kelly Olenek. Uh, one, of our, uh, one of our beat reporters had indicated that he doesn't see the possibility of Kelly Olenek and Jared Selinger both playing as a Boston Celtic, that probably one of these guys have to go. And I was very curious to get maybe your guys' take. So, Mike, I'm going to start with you. Do you see the future of the Boston Celtics having both Kelly Olenek and Jared Selinger on that squad? Um, I'm starting to lean towards no. I think that in an ideal world, you know, Selinger is a good starting power forward, Olenek's a good third, third big man, and you have a big win-protecting center. So I won't completely rule it out. 
but you are starting to see, their teams are so similar. Both play below the rim. Neither is good defensively, and I don't know if two of your top three big guys can can be in that mold. I think you might need a more athletic power forward plus a rim protecting center, which would be a little depressing. I do think both have trade value, though. And I want to say this about Selinger and about Jeff Green, actually, because it bothered me the other day. They both had a habit after, after losses of not talking to the media, and they both have this attitude really entitled. So I'm really starting to sour on Selinger because of that. Maybe his kid is 22 years old in his third NBA season, never really accomplished anything besides becoming a pretty decent player. So for him to have that attitude, I made me sour on him and almost makes me want to keep Kelly Olynyk, who I haven't seen that from at all, over Selinger. So I, I do think there's going to be some trouble having both of those guys with two of your top three bigs. And I'm almost at the point where if, if Selinger can bring you back something good, I wouldn't mind exploring that because there's some attitude issues and I actually see it. I think it's one of the reasons they struggle in close games because Selinger and Green and to a lesser extent, Avery Bradley, I think Avery Bradley is a little bit of, I don't think he's the most mentally tough guy either. And having those three guys as your big, your big three options, I think is a huge reason why this team has blown seven double digit leads this year. Why this team has, blown five leads in the last two minutes and hasn't erased a, lead, a deficit of any kind in the last two minutes of a game since the four, uh, fifth game of last year when Jeff Green was the buzzer beater in Miami. They have not come back one time in over 100 basketball games. And I think there's some mental weakness, and I think Jared Thunder is one of those guys. So I know it's kind of a long-winded way, way of saying it, but I, I, think, I think one of the two guys, Thunder or Linux, will end up going. And if it's me, I think I'd keep Linux. Mike, I think you made a great point then about not coming back late in any single games, and it's because they don't have a go-to guy. They don't have. There's not one guy on the team that you say, okay, this is the guy I want to give the ball to down the stretch. There was a little while when I thought it might have been Selinger, and actually back at the beginning of the season, I thought Selinger was starting to look like possibly the best player on the team. And now he's in a bit of a slump, and like you said, he's not really talking to the media. Linux's starting to play a lot better. I think if you'd ask just about anyone... Probably only as recently as a month ago, who they would have rather had if you had to pick between one or the other, people would have gone with Selinger. But now Linux looking like the better player at the moment. But I'm not convinced they can't be just fine keeping both of them. I don't think you can ever start both of them at the same time. I feel like Selinger is probably more suited to be a starting power forward long term. And if a Linux is your sixth or seventh guy off the bench who still plays 25, 30 minutes, maybe is a better scoring option, then I think you can keep them. But it's funny, it's not a question I would have even considered just a short time ago, but now it's definitely worth thinking about. Mike, Mark, we appreciate you guys jumping on, giving us some really awesome insight and uh, definitely some stuff to be thinking about as we start forging ahead into the year 2015. Where will this Boston Celtics team go? Mike, it's, a, it's been a pleasure, man. We hopefully uh, we'll be able to get you back on here again soon. Absolutely, guys. Uh, it was a lot of fun, and uh, anytime you want me, just, just drop me a line. All right, Mark, man, we appreciate it once more, my friend. We can't wait to bring you back on. Yeah, same thing. Thanks a lot. Enjoyed it. All right, and that was Mike Dyer and Mark Van Dusen from Celtics Life. Be sure to follow these guys. Follow Mike on his Twitter handle, at Mike Dyer. I'm sorry, Mike underscore Dyer 13, and then Mark is at Lucid Sports Fan. 
Shaw, you know, one of the things that, and it's interesting because who would have thought that we would be taking this Brooklyn Nets basketball game recently that the Celtics have played another close game, another game where they collapse in the fourth quarter. And ultimately we would be saying to ourselves, you know, what, what really is this team going to look like? And a lot of people have said, listen, the Brooklyn Nets is not a good barometer because they're not a great basketball team. So we're still stuck with that same question mark about, you know, what is this team going to look like? And, you know, Mike and Mark, are pretty much into the same boat. You know, they're leaning a lot closer to the idea that this team is, while it's not the worst team, they're still not a great team. And at some point, we need to really know what the extremity is because then we can truly gauge the moves that Danny Ainge is uh, is basically trying to make at this particular juncture. Yeah, well, you know, the thing, the theme of the season has been the evenness of the roster. And I think Mike said it best that there's not a number one, two, maybe even three guy on this team. You know, you look at this roster and they're basically all five through 10 players type, if you will. And that's why Stevens is having a hard time figuring out the rotation. I also like what Mark ended up saying later on that, you know, Stevens has to make the hard decision. Stick to eight or nine guys and that's it. And then just to say, listen, these guys are not going to play um, instead of trying to, you know, all right, you play two minutes here, you play four minutes here. And then, you know, everyone ends up playing each game and you just don't have no real evenness. You can't really get a flow that way. I think the flip side to that, though, is that because it does seem like Boston is trying to showcase some players. That seems to be what the, one of the biggest issue is because they're obviously not done. They know they don't have a roster that's really, really ready to compete you know, for a, for a title in any sense or any shape or form. So they are trying to showcase some of these guys. And I think those those two two or three points that those guys made really, really spoke to what the Celtics team is this season. Well, what's also interesting as well, too, is the way that both Mike and Mark are defining the idea of how the Celtics are going about assessing that talent. Because, you know, one of the things that I brought up was, you know, what do we think about Brad Stevens? And, and it's kind of interesting to me because – you know, Mark's assessment was like, you know, I was kind of sold on this guy. He sounds like he says the right things, but you're really starting to scratch your head with regards to, you know, what is he trying to do as being the head coach? And at some particular point, you would have already seen what he was doing via college to what he's trying to do with these young guys as Boston, as the Boston Celtics head coach is going to translate to some form of success or something that's trending in the direction of understanding what this basketball team is going to be comprised of. And I think that's another big question as well, too, as well as it lends to what you were just talking about with the way that this rotation is being utilized through the course of this season. You know, I, you know, it just occurred to me now as you, as you were even posing the question, but it really may be that Stevens doesn't feel he has the right in essence, to, to bench certain players, to, to especially some of the veteran guys, because he doesn't he doesn't have the experience to say to make these hard decisions. And I, again, I don't want to say that, you know, he's punking out or anything like that. But I'm beginning to feel that way to some degree, because at some point, really, you probably should say, listen, these are my guys. These are who's going to play, not flip flopping the rotation every time you feel like it or you get a gut feeling. And all right, now you go in. All right, no, you sit down. No, you go in like that really is confusing for the team, especially for the younger players on this roster. Um, and I, another thing that Mark said that I thought was, you know, really, really poignant, you know, going towards Marcus Smart. Mark was interested in saying, he's like, you know, like, he doesn't care what happens with Smart, either play him or don't play him, but just make a decision. You know, so whether they're going to go with him and give him 30 to 35 minutes a night, great. If they're not, then then he needs to sit and figure out if you're going to try to win more games with a more experienced point guard. I guess that right now would be Jameer Nelson. Um, go was, ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, and I thought we thought that that was what was evident over the course of this weekend when the Celtics played the Brooklyn Nets. We, we, we said, you know, at what point do we start looking at Marcus Smart and saying, 
he needs to be in there. He needs to be put in these situations where you can start building that confidence that he is going to be your point guard of the future. Forget for a moment that the trade for Rondo happened. What happened was they brought back Jameel Nelson, a, a veteran guy, a guy who knows what to do, regardless of a team wins or loses. He's been on the positive spectrum of the Orlando Magic winning basketball games, and he's been on the losing spectrum of, of the Orlando Magic uh, and, and winning and losing basketball games. And so in a situation like what you're just saying, you know, you if you're Brad Stevens, you could lean on what works for you, which is having a veteran guy like Jameer Nelson take these young guys who don't know how to win games down the stretch and say, go help me win this basketball game. But I think he knows that he's going to have to put Marcus Smart out there. And maybe this game was the first step towards doing that. Yeah, absolutely. And he's going to have another big test over the weekend playing against John Wall again. And you really kind of have to see what Marcus Smart's going to do. Because I think I was confused in the second game where, where Nelson was there on the Celtics or second or third game. You know, he started Nelson. And I guess that was just because they played against Orlando Magic, his former team. And I was like, well, why did they start him? But I guess that has to be the only reason. Because then right next, right in the very next game, Smart goes back in the starting lineup. Um, I don't know. I think at this point, it's almost becoming a situation where you need to take some of these toys away from Stevens, per se. And that is probably going to happen via trade. So he can either have, you know, these this multitude of draft picks and less players to really choose from that really kind of are even in terms of talent. So he doesn't have this decision process to make whether or not who's going to play. I like what they said, too, in terms of, you know, uh, the potential of, of Bass and Green and all those other guys and, and Brandon Wright even being flipped. Um, because I definitely think Danny Ainge is not done. You're going to see some more Celtics trade before everything is done. All right. You're tuned to the Celtics Beat Show. Cal Lee, Warren Shaw, discussing Boston Celtics basketball, powered by CLNS Radio. Time now for us to go around the NBA. This segment of Around the NBA in 5 is brought to you by the new book by Larry H. Russell called The Fall of the Boston. How bad luck, bad decisions brought the mighty Celtics empire to its knees and ushered in the dark ages. Available January 5th on CLNSRadio.com. Shaw, are you ready to get things kick-started and go around the NBA in 5? Absolutely, brother. Let's go. All right, here we go. First things first, everybody knows about the big signing. Josh Smith going to the Houston Rockets, his first outing. After the Christmas holiday, what were your impressions, man? He looked good for them. You know, was able to kind of get to the basket a little bit. Um, you know, three-pointers, definitely not part of his game. And that's something that Houston likes to have some of their forwards do. But um, I think overall, playing with Dwight Howard and being being with his, you know, his good friend in the league, I think it's going to be great for them. Gives them another defensive guy that they've been missing for the last, the last two seasons or so. I think Houston really has a legitimate chance this year with Josh Smith. I got to tell you, one of the things that I had spoken about was what fit, what would be the most logical fit. And I felt that for Josh Smith and how he's still in the prime of his career, so to speak, that he would probably be better off playing for a team like the Miami Heat. But in real, in, in realism, because the power forward position is a position by committee by Kevin McHale, you would think that this does make sense for a guy like Josh Smith. I want to wait and see how this truly plays out. You're actually seeing some of a decline from Dwight Howard now. Uh, with regards and having this dichot, this, this this trifecta, so to speak, this new big three with Harden, Smith, and Howard. I don't know how this will play out because the chemistry, I think, really still lies in Dwight Howard and and uh, and James Harden. So where Josh Smith fits in this, to me, is going to be the biggest question mark on where the success truly lies. And the fact that Kevin McHale now has been extended that three-year agreement, it's almost becoming like kind of like that trend. Like they are very secure in the idea that McHale is going to be the guy to lead this team to eventually a championship. Absolutely. Well, I think simply because of the turnaround already that you've seen this year from a defensive standpoint. And I can understand there's, there's, there's pause for concern, but I think with Smith, 
it gives them the latitude to potentially trade a guy like Terrence Jones, or maybe even trade a Monte Yunus or a Papa Nicola or whoever, to maybe even bolster that point guard position, which they definitely need some help behind Beverly. So I think with Smith, they actually gained some ground because it allows them to maybe move some other guys to fill some other gaps that they have on their roster. All right, out in San Antonio, losing three of their, uh, losing, won three and seven over their last 10 games, and then now they're on a stretch of losing six out of their last seven. Should there be reason for concern out in San Antonio? They're not healthy, um, and, you know, teams are, are, are definitely targeting them as a result of it. So without Leonard being in the lineup for an un, undetermined amount of time, Parker also his hamstring continues to bother him. Um, there's definitely reason for concern in, for San Antonio because the Western Conference is so deep and everyone just kind of wants a grandfather to spurs in. And you know, I'm one of those same guys that likes to do that, but you're starting to see that they're starting to break down a little bit here. And, uh, yeah, losing six to seven is not any way to continue to defend your title in the Western Conference. And interestingly enough, when you look at what's happened already in the last couple of weeks in the Southwest Division with Dallas getting Rajon Rondo, now Houston getting Josh Smith, these rosters are starting to bulk themselves up and they're starting to pose those type of rosters that are kind of the arch nemesis to how the San Antonio Spurs play basketball. And it's such a deep late. I mean, right now they're sitting second to last to the to New Orleans Pelicans, who they just recently lost to. So it's kind of hard to gauge, you know, will the San Antonio Spurs team even survive out of this division alone uh this conference yeah they like i said they just need to get right um pat mill patty mills is looking to come back even a little bit earlier than i think expected um because parker just doesn't seem to be right at all um and, and it really does boil down to their health i mean they have that this obviously this is a team and a formula that has won and and is a championship caliber when right but they don't seem to be healthy i don't know if they're going to be trying to make any big splashes and making any moves because chemistry is such a big thing for them but yeah, like i said there's definitely reason for concern in san antonio right now all right now out in atlanta is this team a legitimate team in the Eastern Conference currently on a stretch where they won five games in a row? One of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. Are you buying into the uh, Atlanta Hawks? Um, to, to, to a certain degree, yes. I mean, I've watched them a little bit this year, a little bit more than um, some of the other teams in the Eastern Conference, and they really do move the ball extremely well. I call it, everyone says Spursian is the way simply because Coach Bud, you know, comes from the San Antonio way of life, per se. Um, and Atlanta really do, really, really do share the ball uh, offensively. Defensively, they do the right things. They turn people over. Uh, I, I like their roster. There's no real superstars on this team, but everyone's pitching in and sacrificing their numbers for the betterment of the squad. All right, finally, Shaw, 15 seconds. Kobe Bryant's minutes are being cut. Are we finally seeing the end of the Mamba? Uh, yeah, I think we are. You know, he said he's old. He's breaking down for sure. And the Lakers realize that they're not really going anywhere right now. And Byron Scott's acting accordingly. Poor Kobe, man. He's breaking down a lot of part of his career here. All right. Well, there you have it. Around the NBA in five, my man Warren Shaw and I continually setting the, setting the bar very high, setting the trend very high as we keep giving you the news regarding the NBA. Shaw, wonderful show this week. Um, awesome stuff from our guys, Mike Dyer and Mark Van Dusen from Celtics Life and really bringing insight to what's going to be, uh, you know, a, a furthering frustrating season for Celtic fans alike. Yeah, man. I'm like I said, it was great to have those guys on and talk shop with them. But it, the, the theme is is definitely a recurring one when you talk to all around Celtics Nation. Um, nobody's really happy with this roster. Nobody's happy with the way things are going, and um, they're trying to see the silver lining in terms of the draft picks and some of the moves that have been made. But it's tough right now, especially when you're used to a culture and tradition of winning.
Let me ask you a question real quick before we sign off, Shaw. Would you be satisfied with this Boston Celtics team as they are? Or would you be satisfied with this Boston Celtics team if they were playing at the level of, say, like the Philadelphia 76ers? Um, that Sixers thing right now, it, it, it's, it's tough to swallow. Um, you want to lease a team to be out there trying hard. And I mean, th- and I even think to some degree Philly is trying hard. It's their management that's not trying. Um, and with, again, the biggest issue I have with the Celtics right now is that I think everybody feels like they should have gotten more and could have did better in the, in the Rondo trade. But as, as Mike alluded to, it takes time. It's, we can't judge this trade right now in the first week or two of it. We have to give it some time to see how it's going to play out, especially if Ainge is able to turn that trade to player exception into something big and positive like he was over, over the last summer. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this week's edition of Celtics Beat. Music for Celtics Beat was provided by Chuck Dietz, Astravex, and Steph Lagrato. Be sure to follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle is Celtics underscore Beat. And you can also like us, Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio on Facebook to keep up with the show. I'd like to thank our guests, Mark Van Dusen and Mike Dyer from Celtics Life. For our staff writer, Eddie Santiago, executive producer, Larry H. Russell, my co-host, Mr. Warren Shaw. I'm your host, Cal Lee. We will see you guys next Sunday for another edition of Celtics Beat, exclusively on CLNS Radio.